Virtual Time Machine Podcast, Season 2, Episode 2. Everything is connected. Yeah, so what? So what can we do with that? How can we use that knowledge? Can we use that knowledge to protect and preserve or grow our economy and jobs? Could we use that knowledge to improve our land use decision making? Could we improve just our general planning of our watersheds? Maybe most importantly, can we use the fact that we know that everything is connected to help us plan and execute a more sustainable future? Well, absolutely we can. So let's dig into that. Welcome to the Virtual Time Machine Podcast, Season 2, making time travel a reality so we can learn from the past and create the future. Here's your host, systems ecologist, Barry Wilson. Remember in elementary school when we were taking math, we were learning about the order of operations. Remember that? Like if you had um, adding and subtracting in an equation along with multiplying and dividing, there are rules about which ones you need to do first in order to get the right answer. And so we learned that we had to do the multiplying and the dividing first, right, before the adding and the subtracting. Otherwise, you got the wrong answer. And what's important about that example is is it's a recognition that there's a a hierarchy, an order, a, a set of precedents, a dependent relationship within mathematics that we need to respect within that system in order to calculate or compute the right answer. If we don't, if we ignore that, we end up with the wrong answer. Why could that be really, really crucial? Well, think about this simple example. Let's say you went out and bought the winning lottery ticket. And hey, you won 10 million bucks. But in order to claim your prize, you have to answer the skill testing question right? I mean, they do this all the time. I'm not exactly certain about the purpose of that, why they they do that, uh, but you have to do it. And so it's usually like a a multiply and divide, add and subtract type question. That's what you have to answer. Now imagine if you didn't pay attention and you didn't know the order of operations and nobody was willing to cheat and give you the answer. And so you kept giving them the wrong answer and therefore could not claim your lottery winnings How bad would that be? That would definitely influence your prosperity, your happiness, right? Because you didn't understand the system. Well, it's exactly the same with understanding that the environment, the economy, and people are connected in a certain way. And I think, I think that for quite a while now, we've been thinking about that system in the wrong way. And that's what's in large measure, leading us to the place that we are today where we're feeling like, you know, 
uh, business as usual is not sustainable. We're running out. We're, we're having a hard time continuing to operate within this system. And the reason is, is we don't fully understand the relationship. It's like uh, baking a cake. You ever bake a cake? And let's say you uh, went to the store and you bought a cake mix. So you got the box and all you got to do is add, uh, what, three eggs and a cup of water. Mix it all up. Put it in the oven at, what, 450 for like 35 minutes and pull it out. And, and so it's a series of steps. And if you do that in the right order, you end up with a cake. It wouldn't serve you if you didn't do it in the right order. Let's say you just took the cake mix, dumped it into the pan, put that into the oven, and then after 40 minutes added the water and the eggs, you wouldn't get a cake. And that's because within that system, those other ingredients um, need to be added at a certain stage in, other, in order for a chemical reaction really to occur, which is the baking of the cake and the rising and all of that. Now, sometimes uh, you can substitute some of the ingredients, like you could use margarine instead of butter. But if you don't do things in the right order, if you don't understand that relationship of dependency, you don't get a cake. You get a crappy outcome. You, that, that would be an, I wouldn't want to eat it. That wouldn't even taste like good cookie dough. You'd probably burn the mix and it would just be gross. So how do we take this knowledge and then use it for our benefit? Well, let's step into the virtual time machine and dig into that. So I'm just thinking back, I've been thinking back to how, you know, in my training, my university education, um, my training as a forester was, was very in-depth to look at the integration of multiple values that exist uh, within a forest ecosystem. It, you know, um, as a forester, one of our primary jobs is to produce timber, uh, harvested timber to the mill to make lumber, say, or pulp. But in the meantime, we also had to manage for multiple different resources, which necessitated an understanding of the system. And so we got, I got to know and understand all of the elements and components of uh, the ecosystem, also the economy that was related to that, other users like ranchers or tourism and recreation, that kind of thing, and how that influenced people. And, and it's always this idea of the balancing act. It's probably how I you know, eventually ended up being a systems ecologist looking at this large scale and thinking about sustainability and prosperity into the future for, for all of us. Um, but in the process of that, I guess I don't know if I was instructed on this or I came to this conclusion, but I think most of us are in the same boat as me, is that I've been sort of thinking of this, this Venn diagram of three different systems, the economy, the environment, and people as being somewhat separate. Now, if you're watching this on the vodcast, which is the video version of this podcast on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, then you'll get to see some slides that have some graphics that are going to help me explain this. If you're not, if you're just listening on a podcast, I'll try to paint a picture of, of the graphics for you so you can imagine it in your mind. 
Um, you might be listening to it on the podcast and decide, you know what, I want to go see that slide and see the graphic that he was talking about. So if you want to do that, uh, this this vodcast will be at barryjwilson.online. Type that in in your URL and that'll take you straight to YouTube and you, you should be able to find the playlist, Virtual Time Machine Podcast. Anyway, so imagine in your mind this sort of Venn diagram of three different circles, three different systems, which are the economy, the environment, and people. And they, in, you know, just looking at that, there's sort of this underlying assumption that those systems can exist independently on their own without the other. And that what we're trying to do for sustainability is we're trying to bring them together so that when they overlap, in fact, you just look at the artwork on the Virtual Time Machine podcast and you'll see those three circles. And in the middle, there's this, uh, it's almost like the golden triangle, this little area where the three of them intersect. And I've sort of have imagined in my mind that sustainability. That's where we're trying to find the intersection of these systems. But I think that that perception of the system is incorrect. Uh, my reasoning for that is that we fully understand that those systems are not independent and cannot exist on the, on their own. So I sort of think that this this idea was in my mind at least because of the fact that we were sort of looking at the world's resources as um, the property of people. We often, we often, who's got the tenure? Who has the forest license? Who's got the domestic water license? Who owns this land, right? Property rights ownership, which is this notion that the natural system is there for our benefit and that we control it. We own it. Uh, we get to decide its fate uh, and it's there to serve us. Uh, and I think that's the fundamental problem right at the very beginning as how we think about these systems that sort of led us astray, especially since the Industrial Revolution and perhaps the modernization of the Western economy. The reality is, is that for thousands and thousands of years, we understood as a species that we are nourished by the environment. And the, you know, the, the indigenous worldview, as I have been taught by several indigenous elders and from university courses that I've been taking on this, that perspective has been consistent over history that people are actually given the responsibility to take care of the earth to care for the natural resources, the animals, the plants. It's our responsibility to be good stewards and ensure that those things are healthy and that they continue on into the future. And the, the reason for that, it's, it's a fundamental understanding of the system that the environment nourishes us as people and that that is a dependent relationship, that we cannot exist without that healthy environment. And beyond that, then, economies that we have created through history are just that. They're something that is created by people, uh, oftentimes just a system of trading of goods, services, commodities, uh, which has, you know, we, we perceive increased our, our quality of life. However, there's a certain threshold beyond which... Um, increasing our production of goods and services that make us feel good 
is not contributing to the nourishment and well-being of the environment that actually sustains us. And that's where that, that thinking can break down. So I think we need to sort of step back and rethink the system that we're in. It's not one where the economy, environment, and people are independent and, and where we're trying to merge the two together to, to find some magical point. It's actually understanding that the environment provides for all and that people are, are in a dependent relationship to the environment and that the economy is something created by people. It's dependent on people. And so thus, the economy is dependent on the health and welfare of the environment, right? I believe it's Herman Daly who's credited with saying that the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment. I want to share with you this, this interview that was conducted by Layla Connors for the 11th Hour Research in 2006. And you can actually find the full video for this on YouTube, where I'm, I'm getting it from, was published by Tree TV uh, in 2015. So you can go in there and find that. Um, Herman Daly is an American e ecological economist and a professor who discusses and thinks about the concept of steady state economy and how the economic system is really a subsystem of the Earth's ecosystem. Oh, I love this stuff. That's why I'm a systems ecologist. This is actually the transactions between and within these different systems. Yeah, I think the most uh, basic thing to understand about our global economic system is that it's a subsystem. And it's a subsystem of a larger system. The larger system is the biosphere, and the subsystem is the economy. And the subsystem is open. That means that it takes in both matter and energy, and it gives out both matter and energy uh, back to the larger system. The larger system, the biosphere, is closed. That is, it's closed with respect to materials. Materials circle, they recycle. But it's open with respect to energy, namely solar energy, which comes in and then goes out, and that powers all the cycles. So that's that's the basic fundamental uh, physical features of the system. The problem, of course, is that our subsystem, the economy, is geared for growth. It's all set up to grow, to expand, whereas the parent system doesn't grow. It remains the same size. So as we grow into, as the economy grows, it displaces, it encroaches upon the biosphere and this is a fundamental cost. This is the fundamental opportunity cost of economic growth. That's what you give up when you expand. You, you give up what used to be there. And so we, uh, we lose ecosystem services as we expand the size of the economy. And if we do that too much, uh, growth ends up costing us more than it's worth. That is, the lost ecosystem services are more valuable than the extra production that caused them to be lost. And we haven't yet built that in to our economic thinking. We've assumed that we were just so small relative to the total system that it didn't matter. But now it does matter. And it's true, in the past it really didn't matter. But in, in my lifetime, uh, the world population has tripled. And the population of automobiles and houses and other things that make up the physical economy has grown by at least 12-fold, I'd say. 
So the world is no longer empty. Oh, the, uh, the principal actors, the agents in this system, of course, if we just look at the, the biosphere, it's the natural world, it's other species, it's biogeochemical cycles and all of these things that are happening. Uh, within the, the subsystem, the economy, it's, of course, human beings. And what's happening there is that we're, we're growing. And growth is what we're geared for. And mainly, I think, uh, we've now entered in, into a sort of phase where growth has become the, uh, almost an idol. It's the, it's the solution to all of our problems. We have poverty. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to grow. We can't share because that's politically and morally difficult. So we'll just make the pie bigger. Everybody will get more. Uh, and so we have unemployment. So uh, the, within the human economy, we try to solve all of our problems by economic growth. Uh, we solve unemployment by growth. We solve poverty by growth, or at least we think we do. And we solve... Uh, even the population problem, because people think that if, if the economy grows fast and people get richer, they'll have fewer children and so forth. Uh, well, these, these things are all presume that economic growth is making us richer. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that most problems are easier to solve if you're richer. The difficulty is that beyond some point, what we call economic growth, increase in GNP, will not make us richer. It will, in fact, make us poorer because it will increase costs faster than it increases benefit. And to go back and quote uh, John Ruskin, uh, who said uh, that, um, well, he coined a word, which I think we need to reintroduce in the English language, which is ilth. Ilth is the opposite of wealth. And we accumulate ilth when we generate bads faster than we generate goods. Bads, of course, things like pollution, depletion, disruption of, of ecosystem services. All of this accumulates as ilth. And this is a cost which heretofore we have not really counted in our measures of growth. And so we need to, uh, to start doing that and not seek all the, the solution to all of our problems in growth. Okay, so now I'm going to pick up on that with something that I've been sharing in, in my presentations, I guess for the last six months or so. I uh, started out developing this as I was developing a presentation for the uh, Scotten Nation water gathering last November. And I was thinking about how this sort of global growth mindset is influencing things right here where I live in the traditional territory of the Scotland people and Scotland Ulu. And it relates to this, this idea that we are um, operating now on a global scale and world population is continuing to grow. We're sitting, I don't know, somewhere, depending on wh where the numbers are today, somewhere around 7.6, 7.7 billion people on the planet. And, you know, it, it varies based on different forecasts, but, According to the United Nations, we're going to be probably increasing to somewhere between 9 and 10 billion uh, by the year 2050, which is about a 25% increase from today. Okay, And that that trend is probably going to continue. Uh, some estimates by the turn of the next century 
say that we, sh we could be between 9.8 and 13 billion people uh, on the planet. So that's 80 years out. Um, it's, it all depends on, uh, on uh, you know, whether our rate is sort of linear or exponential, but all indications are that it's going to continue sort of along a, a massively increasing rate. And so the problem with that, there's two problems associated with this. One is, as, as uh, Herman Daly described, the biosphere uh, is a closed system. In other words, it's sort of like the, what I was talking about before, about the first law of thermodynamics. It's a finite system. We're not getting more matter. There, there is an exchange of energy, but we're not getting more matter. So uh, we consume that matter just by being alive. And then, of course, those of us who are participating in, you know, uh, the first world economy are consuming far more of those resources than everybody else. Um, if you just look at the middle class uh, per capita consumption rate in the Western world, it's wildly higher than it is uh, for people everywhere else on Earth. However, here's the thing. In many of the economies of the world, uh, so, uh, especially the uh, significantly increasing Asian and, and uh, Eastern Indian populations are you know, where the, the vast majority of people on the planet are, and more and more of that population is entering into the middle class. And those people want uh, things like I have, like they want a cell phone and they want a car and they want a single detached home and they want televisions and they want... Uh, maybe they want their own podcast. So all of that takes resources. And so what we've found is that not only are there more of us consuming that finite set of resources, but the rate at which we're consuming it is on the rise with a greater proportion of that increasing population. So you start to do the math and you realize that we're on this trajectory that cannot be sustained. Perpetual growth is not possible. And if we think it is, we're missing the boat on how everything is connected. The economy is not disconnected from the environment. In fact, it's wholly dependent on it. Now, what does this mean for jobs, economy, government, decision-making? You know, where I live in, in British Columbia, in Western Canada, there's all kinds of dispute about big major infrastructure projects like uh, oil pipelines, uh, massive increases in, in other transportation networks like highways, rail, shipping, all concentrated around the movement of goods and services within the global economy. And that is as a result of this increasing demand by a growing population moving in to the middle class. So that's that's a fundamental understanding. And if we don't figure that out moving into the future, we're going to really start to hit some walls. And in fact, I would say in, in some places, we are really starting to feel those pressures already. There are governments that are really starting to take this seriously and think about their policies, their economic actions in a different way. Two I want to highlight. The first one, which I won't spend a lot of time on, but I did a, a presentation on cumulative effects and how to, to use innovative new uh, technology tools that I use 
to account for the cumulative effects of the interactions of the environment, economy, and society, I was asked to do that for the government of Bhutan. Now, if you've ever looked at Bhutan, it's a small little country uh, near Nepal in, uh, in Asia. And that probably the most fascinating thing about that country to me is their measure of success is not growth in GDP or, or wealth of an economic measure. It's actually the happiness index. So that, that was part of the interest is the tools that, that I use are able to forecast indices in a spatial way over time and allow scenario planning. So they are very focused on uh, the happiness index of the nation. That's what's important. And happiness is composed of a number of different things, very little of which is your financial wealth, as it turns out. It's really, uh, you know, things like stress or access to food and clothing, um, the ability to uh, enjoy nature, have clean air, clean water. Those things are, are um, the important components of happiness. Now, New Zealand is doing something really interesting. As I've continued to do some research, it just so happened that the government of New Zealand um, is really starting to move forward. One of the things I want to explore in a future podcast is this notion that uh, natural ecosystems are being given the same level of rights as human beings. So in New Zealand, they've actually, there's a river there now that has been given the same rights as a human being. And in fact, if you think about the system we are describing where we are nourished by the environment, perhaps those ought to have more rights than us. Um, certainly though, just the acknowledgement that they're on a par is a huge move forward. And that is exactly how indigenous people always have looked at this around the world. Uh, it's what allowed us as a human race to grow and prosper was this understanding of the, the relationship and importance of the environment and not putting ourselves first and realizing that we aren't disconnected. So what New Zealand is doing, though, is they're now taking that and they're moving it into their public policy for the nation, right into their budget. So I want to share another interview with, with you, which is also from YouTube, and this was published by One News in New Zealand. And it's the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. And she has signaled to her government ministers that they'll need to prove that any new policies that, that they're thinking of bringing in for New Zealand, it's going to have to improve the well-being of New Zealanders, not only today, not only within this election cycle, but across generations. To me, that's an, a, a further understanding of the systems at play. Five-year election cycles are not how the environment operates. It's on a much larger time scale, right? So you, you often hear this from indigenous elders will tell you it's about thinking over seven generations, seven human generations, which is a timeline of, more closely related to what natural systems work on. And in fact, there's also this acknowledgement that, that we do not inherit the earth, but we actually borrow it. Um, we don't inherit it from our ancestors. We are borrowing from our future generations. And that's this idea that we need to, we need to be thinking on 
not only a space scale that's much more meaningful, which is, is the global system, but also on a time scale that reflects the system that we're working within. It's like the order of operations in math. If you want to get the right answer, you need to understand how the system works and work within it, not try to change it. Have a listen to New Zealand's Prime Minister. Actually, from institutions like the OECD, for some time now, they've been encouraging economies to look beyond just economic measures of success and look at the well-being of our people. And in New Zealand, we're now starting to embed that in the way we do things. And you heard um, today uh, the Secretary-General of the OECD saying that they're so interested in that that they will be reporting on that later in the year. That's what we're doing is a bit of a first, so really looking to us uh, with interest. Um, but as I say, I think the momentum for this has been building for some time. Uh, GDP only tells us so much. It doesn't tell us about our mental health and well-being, what's going on with housing people, the performance of our education system. So this is all about saying, well, actually, how well are we performing as a government for people? Yeah, for Budget 2019, essentially, ministers will need to show that what they're doing will improve the well-being of New Zealanders across generations. If you choose to marry your cleaner, GDP goes down. If you get a divorce, that contributes positively to GDP. It doesn't necessarily tell us about the health and well-being of our economy. GDP can go up or you're degrading your environment. So we need to look much more broadly about at, at what success means. And that has to mean an environment that's well looked after, people that are cared for, and of course, businesses and regions that are thriving. Okay, so that, that to me is extremely exciting because now we're starting to walk the talk. I think um, there's been a lot of talking about uh, this understanding in the last little while, but little willingness by governments or organizations to actually move forward on it. Uh, New Zealand is charting that path and perhaps breaking trail for the rest of us to see how to do that. I think that's going to be so critically important. Here in British Columbia and, and Western Canada, there's a, a lot of um, angst uh, and conflict over new major development projects to move energy, uh, for example, through pipelines, but also other transportation infrastructure and what will be the, the benefits and the losses of that. And we're having a hard time really making the good choices because, and we're getting locked in because we're thinking it's either the environment or it's the economy. And, and we're failing to recognize this dependent relationship and I think if we can focus in on understanding the rules of the system and how it operates, that's how the solutions are going to arrive. That's actually why we created at CE Analytic, we created the CE Analytic Cumulative Effects Conference because we think that more discussions about this system's understanding with people in the room eyeball to eyeball, having real sharing about their perspectives, their understanding, and then collectively we're growing. I think that's where the solutions are going to emerge. So I'm pretty excited about that conference. And uh, I'm hoping that this will be an annual event where we can continue to grow the community and continue to find those paths forward like it looks like New Zealand is starting starting to do. 
So we're going to continue to dig into how to use this system's understanding to find solutions. We're going to start to look at some of the other factors like climate change and resource extraction and land use planning, cumulative effects management, the integration of traditional ecological knowledge along with Western science. It's going to be an exciting season. I look forward to continuing that. Please, I want to hear from you. Please leave your comments and thoughts below. Uh, I, if you're watching on the vodcast, leave it here on YouTube so we can share. And, and uh, if you're listening to the podcast, please also leave your comments. I've got a place on barryjwilson.com where the podcast is, is also being uh, aired. And you can leave comments and ideas there. Email me. Send me something on Twitter. Let's get involved and engaged together as we move forward, finding solutions, focusing on what we want instead of what we don't want. The chances of us guessing and figuring out what's the right pattern are really low. That's just a dumb, dumb example. Let's try it again. Okay, so you remember when you were in elementary school and you were learning math and the order of operations. Remember that? Welcome uh, to the Virtual Time Machine Podcast, <laughs> Season 2. Uh, that's funny.